Welcome. You are listening to Best Practices, a podcast dedicated to anyone involved in the maintenance, safety, operations, or profitability of industrial facilities and commercial properties. Hosted by Jared Wall and brought to you by South Point Solutions. Okay, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Best Practices. I am Jared Wall, and today I'm honored to be joined by Mr. Bob Luddy. Uh, Bob is a fascinating man who I recently had the pleasure of meeting in person, uh, and when we got to talking, I thought he would be a perfect guest to, to interview for this show. He's, uh, he's president of a company called Captive Air, which is a leader in the manufacture and development of commercial kitchen ventilation systems. Um, over the years, Bob's company has grown, evolved, and, and been at the forefront of a lot of the technical, technological advancements in both uh, the kitchen, kitchen ventilation and, and general HVAC spaces. Towards the end of the episode, we also get into another institution that, that Bob founded, um, the Thales Academy, which is a network of low-cost private schools that was kind of begun on the idea that, that schools should accomplish three main objectives. I'm reading from their mission statement here, um, and that's to, to teach students knowledge, teach them how to think on their own, and give them the tools they need to reach their greatest potential. So obviously that's a, a great um, a great endeavor there. Uh, the, the Thales Academy was founded uh, – you know, with the goal of providing a, a high quality yet yet very affordable education, um, and I think it's really revolutionary with regards to childhood education. So we get into that towards the end of the episode. Um, but that's enough of my jabbering. Uh, I hope you enjoy my interview with Bob Luddy. Uh, Mr. Luddy, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Jared, delight to be with you today. I'm uh, I'm really excited to learn uh, everything that you can tell me about you know your company, Captive Air, uh, and, and what you what kind of products you supply and, and what makes them different than maybe say your competitors and things like that. So, I mean, I guess, um, you know, just maybe start from the beginning, if you would tell me, you know, what is Captive Air? What kind of uh, products do you sell? What kind of products and services do you sell? And, and uh, how was it developed? And, and what makes you different? You know, take as much time as you'd like. You feel free to give any kind of your history um, you know, in this, uh, in, in your, in your field as well. Uh, we, I'd love to, hear all of that. Yeah, let's start with a brief history going back to November um, 1976. So I founded the company initially as an installation company of fire suppression systems for commercial kitchen ventilation systems. And what's uh, different about uh, initially the company was called Atlantic Fire Systems. So we installed these systems in restaurants and prior to that time, I was selling fire suppression systems, but I had never installed any. Uh, so this was a big jump um, without much planning <clears throat> or capital to begin installing these systems, get orders during the day, and sometimes work late at night doing the installations. So I'd like to point out that this is the way Captive Air began. It's not necessarily a model anybody wants to copy, but it's just the way it happened for me. So no capital. I did have some level of experience, 
But here's the good part of it. Starting with no capital, which normally would not be recommended in business books, I had to be just extraordinarily resourceful. And that resourcefulness, uh, even today, is a long-term attribute of the company and the individuals that work here. The second thing that happened, since we were working what I call on the ground, we're in buildings, we, we know how things go together, we had a deeper understanding of the actual use of products relative, relative to sitting in an office and just designing products. Uh, within um, a few months, uh, in 1977, we began to install a few ventilation systems. And by the end of 1977, we had two or three chain customers where we installed the entire kitchen ventilation system. Now, what that did, it uh, kind of pulled us into making some duct work, uh, having a better understanding of the challenges of both remodels and new buildings. And I think it set a pattern uh, for the company to be self-learners, to be innovative, and to be very focused on the customer. By the end of 1983, uh, we had already um, came up with the trademark Captive Air Systems and decided to get rid of the installation company. So it was spun off and focus all of our efforts on manufacturing of kitchen ventilation systems. And if you went back to that time frame, it was probably 30 kind of regional manufacturers of kitchen ventilation. And it was literally hundreds of sheet metal shops that would make a kitchen hood. So as you could surmise, it wasn't very scientific. Some of the larger manufacturers did some reasonable amount of testing, but still uh, the industry was really ripe for someone to come along and be more scientific, more customer focused, also focused on cost, quality, lead times, all the issues that pertain to customers. So we continue to grow as a manufacturer. And one lesson learned is installing uh, fire suppression systems is never going to be a big business. So I realized that after two or three years, but it was a good beginning vehicle. So it was spun off when we found a better vehicle in the actual manufacture of these systems. And then from that point until about 2000, we began to slowly uh, move toward full integration, which means that we would supply the kitchen hood, the fire suppression system, the ductwork, the controls, uh, eventually the heated makeup air, exhaust fans. All that was achieved by approximately 2001. So Captive Air became an integrator uh, and we could function at much lower cost in the marketplace. And there's a number of reasons for that, but primarily innovation, for example, in 1987, we refined the manufacturing process into three different uh, stages, pre-assembly, assembly, or welding, and post-assembly. That allowed us to produce many more hoods in the same uh, manufacturing plant. In the following year, because of rising price of stainless, we were able to make a conversion from 304, which was the food service standard of the industry at the time, to a metal that's called stainless steel 430, 
which has no uh, nickel in it. Uh, this metal was less in cost. It, it actually formed uh, really good kitchen ventilation hoods. So it turned out to be very suitable. And this is not untypical in industries. We had a 15 year run from 1988 until 2003 before our competitors began to adopt 430 metal. Well, in that time frame, we became the dominant U.S. producer. Uh, we had plants opened in Oklahoma and in Iowa, um, and we continued to build plants in the years past that. So being innovative, looking for opportunities, and trying to provide a better value, both in terms of cost and also quality and use of the product are cornerstones of Captivere. That became embedded in our engineering. Uh, so even today, uh, we think in the same terms. How can we provide a superior product that's more sustainable, meaning it's gonna last longer? And how can we do it quickly at the best cost? Now, as you would know, in 2022, that's a little bit challenged because um, of supply chain. But in spite of the challenges that we're facing, uh, we continue to outform our competitors. Because again, we have a very competitive spirit. We do as many things as well as we can, and we're unrelenting in our search for better ideas. That never stops. So we're basically the fanatics of the industry, and we sit outside of the industry. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, back in 1985, one of our salespeople told me, you don't understand the industry, the kitchen ventilation industry. So I said, well, I think I do understand it. I don't particularly like it. And essentially what we're doing is creating a whole new kitchen ventilation industry. And that's exactly what happened. So for, for most people, it's hard to vision what would things be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but successful entrepreneurs need to think about it. They don't have to be perfectly right, but they need to contemplate these issues in order to develop a, uh, a growing company. You and I met recently, and uh, during our, we had a brief conversation, and, and I don't recall exactly um, uh, specifically what you said. What it made, you, if I recall correctly, you made it sound like. Captive Air has developed or uh, has is is uh, is, a, is able to use uh, some kind of new technology that you're one of I think you said six manufacturers that that use some kind of particular technology. Am I remembering that correctly, or am I am I way yeah. off? Um, so Captive Air continued to be a, a kitchen ventilation integrator, and by 2013 we were certainly the dominant company in that field. We had developed all the products that we needed for kitchen ventilation integration. And the exception would be um, a better way to bring makeup air in. So kitchen hoods uh, consume a lot of air and bringing in makeup air tempered uh, has been either costly, uh, not available or challenging. So we began to think about how could we solve that problem and also enter the HVAC business. And the technology that we chose was called um, dedicated outside air systems, or commonly known as DOES. And what these systems are capable of doing 
is bringing in up to 100% outside air. So think about for a kitchen ventilation application, it's perfect. You can bring the air in, you can heat and cool it, uh, which essentially means you're heating and cooling your kitchen and you don't have a return. The return is the exhaust, it goes out, it's gone. So this allowed us to solve a major makeup air problem. The, the DOES technology was theorized by Dr. Stanley Muma at Penn State University. And Dr. Muma wrote extensive white papers on what this technology should do. Now I could tell you historically, even back to 1970, McDonald's wanted a system of this nature, but the technology simply didn't exist. So it took almost 40, 45 years later before this technology was theorized and began to move into the marketplace. So now captive air uh, between 2013 and 2015 developed this product. And then between 2016 and 18, we put it in beta. And one of the things that we did was by this time, we are experts in sheet metal manufacturing, including how to make doors that are quiet, that, uh, that are, don't require any fasteners. They just have a handle and they, they open uh, lights inside. So if it's at night, you can see in the control panel. Um, all the technologies that we used, we searched the um, entire world for the best highest quality technologies because we want this product to be sustainable. And to us, that means 20 to 25 years. If you think of a conventional HVAC rooftop unit, they last in the range of about 15 years. So if you have to replace that unit in 15 years, the cost is about three times what you initially paid. Because now you're doing a one-off, you have to hire a crane, all of the challenges and, and costs have increased in 15 years. So our idea was to make a sustainable product at the best possible price with the highest level of components. So typ typical HVAC systems are manufactured to meet competitive market conditions, which means they can't afford to put all the best components in. Uh, the, the technology that's embedded in DOAS allows for humidity control, which are limitations in commercial units. It allows for the maximum of outside air. And it also allows the compressor to scroll up and down. So a 10 ton compressor can operate at two and a half tons, which means if you need 2.8 tons of cooling, that's exactly what you get. These units also have a dehumidification coil, which allows it after it reaches temperature to dehumidify the air. So it has an enormous number of technologies embedded in DOAS that allow a user to essentially to gain the exact temperature and cooling or heat that they need. And also since it can bring in this outside air, the building can be slightly pressurized. So ideally, buildings need to be at a slight positive pressure. And the reason is negative pressure allows uh, harmful affluence to come in the building when the door is open. And negative pressure is also a static pressure, so it degrades the performance of all your mechanical equipment. So we were able to achieve all that with our 
what we call Paragon RTU using DOS technology. And now it's expanded to the entire building. Because if you think about it, every room in every commercial building needs outside air. That's a big challenge for conventional systems. Post-COVID, um, most of the sanitation people realized the most important thing to prevent COVID is fresh outside filtered air. Um, that had been known for a long period of time, but it was avoided because the DOS technology didn't exist and it's expensive. Now I think there's a realization in the market. We need the outside air. It may cost more money, but it protects the humans. And now we realize the cost of not protecting the humans. So the DOS technology essentially is going to change the entire HVAC industry over time, particularly as cost uh, is uh, reduced uh, through production and new technologies. Uh, you mentioned your uh, your Paragon RTU, um, and I definitely wanted to to get into talking about that because in my my experience in the in the world of energy efficiency, um, mostly my experience is in you know lighting and LED. But I also had a, a you know a good five or six years there where I was also selling and replacing HVAC equipment, mostly RTUs and, and split systems and, and boilers and furnaces and things like that changing out old inefficient units with newer high efficient units. And, and I remember um, the, the program, it was a state funded program. Um, and so we were kind of limited and, you know, we didn't have very much freedom to choose what the replacement material was. It was kind of chosen for us. Um, but we used, uh, I think it was a, an emergence by Lennox was, was the RTU that we were using. Um, and I know that had a, at least a higher SEER rating, and it had, you know, it had the the uh, the various economizers, um, whether it was a, a fuel use economizer or a dual enthalpy economizer, things like that. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you think your unit compares to something like that? And um, and and I guess what are some of the differences between maybe what what uh, what I what I've had experience with and what what you guys. Are? Well, conventional HVAC RTUs have severe limitations when it comes to outside air because they really weren't designed to do that. So if they were just going to heat and cool like in your home, they do a, an adequate job, although they, they're going to be challenged uh, in the humidity side, depending on conditions outside. When they have to bring in outside air, they really weren't designed for that because the coils aren't large enough. You don't have dehumidification. And think about this, if you're bringing in outside air, you need it on a continuous basis. Those RTUs shut down, and when they shut down, they bring in ambient. So, so, so what the industry does, it over-designs, it puts too much tonnage on the building to compensate for the fact that it's actually, at times, bringing latent load into the building. In terms of the economizer concept, in theory, it sounds pretty good. So if the conditions are right, we'll just bring in the outside air and we'll bring in more than normal, except conditions are rarely correct uh, in terms of temperature and humidity. And the amount of air it can bring in also has limitations with these uh, economizers.
if you compare and contrast that with the DOAS technology, it is designed to bring in outside air and it can run at a very low level. So let's say you only need to cool two degrees and maybe 50 RH to, to meet uh, your requirements. The DOAS unit can run at a very low level. Think of it like your car. You speed up, you slow down and you stop. The engine's still running, um, but you're either stopped, you're, you're going slow or you're going fast. So that's what I, these RTUs do. They meet the conditions, and since the units can bring in 100% outside air and they can dehumidify, they have just a substantial advantage over a conventional unit. So if you don't need outside air, you're in the game with standard RTUs. But, but by the way, all buildings need outside air, so that's really not an issue. And if you go into most retail, or really most places you go into, particularly in the summer, they're too cold. Or why are they too cold? Because they have to take that temperature down to dehumidify. With a DOAS unit, we use what's called a reheat. So we're going to go down to the dew point. We're going to get all the water out of there. We're going to dehumidify. And then we're going to reheat that air based on an algorithm of what temperature that air needs to be introduced into the room to achieve the set point that's required uh, by that particular facility. So the DOAS has these enormous capabilities that you don't get in conventional units. And that's why I, I believe that over time, it completely changed the industry. Um, you, you always have these trade-offs between temperature and humidity. Those trade-offs are, are reduced when you have a temperature 73 degrees and 50 RH or 72, most people are going to be comfortable in that range. But if you're at 73 and the humidity is 50 RH, you're a little bit uncomfortable. Somebody's going to push the thermostat down to 71 and you have this endless dispute of temperature and humidity. Uh, DOAS is able to mostly overcome that problem. It can bring in sufficient amount of outside air and the filtration capabilities on, on DOAS go all the way through the MERV to HEPA. So you can get whatever level of, of filtration you want. Typically, right now, a conventional, a good conventional standard would be MERV 13. MERV 15 is a better standard, but for the amount of money you have to pay, most people are going to pay three times as much to get another 10%. But over time, as the cost of MERV 15 comes down, those units are at a high level. If you go to a conventional unit, they may be operating at MERV 8, which means the filtration levels are relatively low. So now you're introducing other issues of various pollutants, viruses, etc. Bob, so just to, to interrupt, interrupt you quickly, can you can you just uh, tell from my audience? Can you give a definition of MERV there? That you, that, that term that you're using. MERV is just the industry standard they use to uh, to rate a filter. MERV 15 is the top. MERV 8 is an old conventional standard, and there's a profound difference. And if you look at a chart, you could you could look it up. Uh, MERV 13 is a very good standard. HEPA would be what they call a clean air room standard. That's an extraordinarily high standard. 
but it takes a lot of static pressure to overcome that filtration. So in a conventional sense, it wouldn't be used. So if DOAGE units use a MERV-13, you're getting very clean air uh, that's, that's continuously filtered. You're getting outside air that's mostly pure. You're getting temperature and humidity control. These are huge things in a building. We, we've introduced one more concept. Typically in buildings, you go into certain rooms and there'll be high velocity air. So you may be sitting under a diffuser and the, the air is coming down the wall and it becomes very annoying. The way we deliver air is through a new system using round duct with holes in. And that duct typically would be 10 or 12 feet high, maybe sometimes even higher. And what it does is it eliminates that high velocity problem. But it does another thing. If the air is coming out of two sides of the duct in these holes, it, it causes a continuous circulation in the room at low velocities. So we typically say that at six feet, the height of a normal person, we want the velocity to be 50 feet per minute or less uh, vertically. And what does that mean to you is you don't feel that air. Uh, you feel nice, uh, clean, comfortable air. All these factors are critical to producing a very high quality environment in, in every single room. And typically, you may have some rooms that are pretty good, but you have rooms that are too cold, too hot. Some have high velocity. Some have noisy returns. All those factors need to be taken into consideration when you're doing the application engineering of DOAS. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I like the you know, the, the, the focus on, um, you know, what it sounds, you know, solving problems and, and, you know, finding pain points for customers and trying to alleviate those. It seems like that's really been captive there's, uh, uh, driving motivation sounds like since, since you got started, I want to get back to, I guess, would you say that refrigeration or not refrigeration kitchen and, and, um, the commercial kitchen equipment would that be captive air is kind of bread and butter or are you are you would would hvac in general um is is that kind of i guess what i'm asking is you know on in the aside for you mentioned mcdonald's and they were kind of um almost ahead of the game and that they knew what they wanted but it didn't exist yet um are you know small uh kind of um uh, chain fast food restaurants is that kind is that your primary customer or you know I guess who 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 is the standard captive air customer? You know we serve the whole range of market from what we call mom and pops local restaurants to, to national chains um, and major uh, plan of spec type of like schools government uh, corporate kitchens etc. Um, so we serve the whole range of market and the DOAS product fits in there rather nicely. So that's one application for DOAS, but probably two thirds of our DOAS are sold outside of kitchen ventilation. So you could look at kitchen ventilation with DOAS is, a, is our largest current market, but the emerging market is DOAS for total buildings with duct systems. And one thing I failed to mention, we have a system called CastLink. And CastLink literally monitors every single DOAS unit. And you can 
um, put in controls of exactly what you want to happen in a particular building. And if it moves outside of that range, our engineers get a notice that there's something uh, that's not achieving its specification. So immediately action can be taken. We can notify the customer, we can fix it ourselves, or sometimes it's just fixed through software. So futuristic, for most companies, even if they have a building automation, half the times they don't understand it. We actually monitor that for them and keep them abreast of their unit and fix problems they don't even know they have. That does another thing. The metadata that comes from Castlink allows us to better understand the use of these systems and what we call things gone wrong. So we, we both use the metadata to improve our application engineering and our, uh, our system design, but we also use the metadata to better understand the dynamics of peculiar applications. For example, grow houses. Grow houses uh, have a tremendous amount of humidity they have requirements of uh, low ambient air conditioning. Low ambient to them is minus 20 degrees. Who would ever think that you need to have air conditioning at run at minus 20, but that's a requirement. So as we, be, as we become engaged in more types of application, we have a much deeper understanding of the application engineering and the nuance of getting that engineering exactly right. Uh, so the, the unit itself, I would say, is very complicated, but the application engineering is equally complicated. So we have a, a, several groups of very specialized engineers that are monitoring those applications. And as, as we always do at Captive Air, continuous improvement, better understanding of how to, how to approach these problems. Um, I think the fact that probably the number one thing our customers like is that we're monitoring these units. So a unit could go out in a portion of your building, the manager won't know it until somebody complains. We'll know it in real time and we'll take action on it. So full integration in the future is a very important of HVAC. If you look historically in buildings, there's controls contractors, there's kitchen ventilation contractors, there's a whole range of contractors. So when things go wrong, there's often a lot of finger pointing. We take that whole problem away. We take full responsibility for the entire HVAC in a building. You mentioned, uh, you know, you're saying that the the DOAS system is is relatively complicated, and the engineering behind it is is relatively complicated. Is 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 you know the end user um is is it complicated on their end you know what it what is no, do co do customers have you know difficulties with your product because of the complicated nature of it that's the beauty of it it's very complicated uh for the manufacturer and the installers but for the user it's pretty simple because think of kitchen ventilation they have an exhaust only hood which is dirt simple they have a doage unit and they have a duct system and that's it <laughs> Uh, they don't have all these secondary, uh, and you have a controls and you know monitoring system. But to a user, it's actually incredibly simple. Uh, naturally, due to the technical nature of the product, you need professional people actually uh, handling the service and application engineering. But to a user, it, it's a delight. 
uh, because they get the heating and cooling they need. We had a, a franchise customer that used their fresh DOAS unit uh, about a month ago, a couple months ago, and he called up and said, this was in Southern Alabama. This is the finest store I've ever, in, in all the stores I have, this is the very best one. And that's gonna be consistent from our customers because DOAS has these enormous capabilities that conventional units simply don't have. The uh, the Castlink software that you mentioned is that something that that Captive Air only Captive Air has access to that, or do you, would your customers be able to log into that and kind of view how their units are operating? Or like you, you mentioned, maybe a, a push or an email notification that if a, if a unit goes out of tolerance, um, do, do customers also get those push notifications, or does Captive Air kind of handle that all for, on on behalf of their customers? We started out with Captive Air handled it all. We now have customers that have the technical capability uh, that can gain that information. And we're moving to a point where eventually it's going to be very simplified on an, an iPhone where a user just gets a red or green and he knows if it's running properly or not. Um, ideally, you want someone monitoring that system that has a technical knowledge of it so they can take action. Because even if a user knows there's something wrong, they may not know what to do about it. But we're, we're going to supply the whole range. We'll do the whole thing. We'll work with your contractor or your facilities people to do it. Uh, Whatever is most suitable for the customer is what we'll do. But CastLink is proprietary software of Captive Air Systems. Gotcha. Um, last question, uh, you know, specifically about Captive Air is, uh, you know, well, I guess maybe two questions. And First, you know, this podcast, uh, you know, it's called Best Practices. I ask this question to everybody that comes on, you know, why should, you know, people in the, uh, you know, whether they are in need of kitchen ventilation equipment or just regular HVAC equipment, why should they consider using Captive Air's products? Uh, why should they consider that best practices? Well, a couple of reasons. One is we've designed every single product we have to be sustainable we have engineers doing the application engineering. And lastly, and most important, we take complete full responsibility for every system that we put in. So if a customer has a problem, even if it was not caused by captive air, we'll get out there and we'll make it work. We'll, we'll make it fix. So 100% reliability, 100% of the time with, with a very robust application engineering team and a very highly experienced team. So most of our um, sales individuals are mechanical engineers, mechanical electrical engineers. They go through extensive training. Uh, Captive Air also does audits on our own salespeople. We, we have a tracking system called brand standards. And those standards are engineering standards of every job. So we can look at every single job, every office, and every individual and determine if they're meeting those standards. Uh, we have a proprietary ordering software program that if you move outside of that standard, you'll get a red uh, flash that says this, this is outside our standard. We don't recommend it. Sometimes there's cases outside the standard that are okay, but then they would have to get a permission from a senior engineer uh, to override that. So standards, you know, they don't perfectly apply to every application, um, but by embedding these standards in software, 
we prevent application engineers from making errors. And that's based on experience factor with those products in those applications. And um, in, you kind of alluded to this or you touched on this a little bit, but you know, obviously we've all been been living through some some difficult times here these last couple of years. How uh, how was Captive Air able to navigate and make it through? Um, you know, the 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 declared pandemic. I mean, I know you mentioned that you've been having some trouble with uh, you know price inflation and, and things like that with with the cost of your your metal that you use is there has there been any other challenges and and how how was captive air you know able to make it through i mean obviously you're still here so congratulations on that um but you know just talk to talk about that a little bit if you would well interesting um from the very beginning of COVID, we never shut down our plants remain um, performing our offices never shut down we made accommodations you know if someone got sick they took their their time off and because of that we were able to just continue to perform all the way through COVID. Now on the supply side, particularly in 2021, it became more challenging. So combination of tariffs and a major steel stainless company going out of business, stainless steel was in short supply last year. Uh, what we did is we hustled, we paid huge premiums to buy steel uh, out of country to service our customers. So we had some tight spots. Currently, we don't have any problems in supply. Now, electronics was a problem last year. It continues to be a problem. And it impact, impacts virtually every product because they all use electronics. So uh, component supply is an ongoing problem. We've extended our outsourcing. Uh, we've done many extreme things. We paid huge prices to buy products on the spot market. And we've outperformed our competitors consistently through this two-year period. It's still a major challenge. I would say that um, it has not really improved other than steel has improved. But keep in mind, the prices are 2x what they were a year ago. And when prices get high enough, you get more supply. Electronics is the probably the primary issue in terms of supply. And that's going to be ongoing for another year. So the good thing about it, it's causing us to rethink about just in time to a much more complex supply chain system, which includes warehousing, more proprietary control components, multiple suppliers, and even what I call dual redundancy of suppliers. Uh, because things happen. There are black swan events over a period of time. Hopefully they'll never be worse than last year, but it could be. Yeah, you never know. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyways, thank you um, for that answer. That was that was great. I want to just lastly here before I let you go, um, I want to touch on something that's maybe a little bit more personal to, to you, Bob. Um, and that is, you know, I guess, you know, let me kind of just uh, preface this a little bit in that you know, it's kind of, it kind of bothers me sometimes that there is a, a type of person out there who is quick to maybe, um, what's the word, uh, not have positive feelings towards, let's say, a, a successful, you know, maybe uh, wealthier businessman. Um, and, you know, there is kind of a, uh, almost kind of a stigma 
against capitalists um, in, in a certain, you know, in, in certain people out there. And, and that always kind of, you know, never really made sense to me because in my experience, you know, successful business owners and, and wealthy people tend to be some of the most generous people out there. And, and I think you're a great um, example of that in that you have developed what's called the Thales Academy. Am I spelling, am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, Thales. 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 Thales Academy. Um, and it's, it's a low-cost private school initiative um, that, that you started. Why don't, can you just tell me, take as long as you want, tell me all about that. I'm fascinated. Yeah, three quick things. One is uh, really long-term successful entrepreneurs. Think of Fred Smith. They basically give up their lives for these companies. And yeah, they get rich, but their money's all invested. Um, so Captivere does two things. We invest money in new technologies, new equipment, which creates jobs drives down cost and improves the quality of life for people. We also decided that over a period of time that we'd make major investments in K-12 education because while the current system uh, is good for many people, there's many others left behind. And so if I decided in 2007 to begin a affordable K-12 education, that would both teach children academically, but also form their character uh, toward uh, good moral living and the American values. So if you look at today, um, we have 5,000 students in Thales Academy. There's a dozen campuses open and we're on our way to opening 25 campuses. So Thales accomplishes two things. It establishes the fact that there is a better model and it can be done at lower cost. And which is very beneficial to the students that attend Thales, but it's also beneficial to society because more people today, particularly post COVID are realizing we're spending too much money uh, for very inadequate results. So to me, a a prime thing that entrepreneurs do, I've seen this in my career, they want to help other people because somebody helped us to get to where we are. And we know the value of mentorship, of teaching, of um, anything anybody can do to help you. So my passion is K-12. Uh, and we're also starting now Thales College this, this September, which will have three tracks, engineering, classical teaching, and entrepreneurial business. Uh, so Passing along lessons learned from 45 years of captive ear is not only a prime mission of myself, but many of our employees are engaged in the the construction, teaching engineering, um, teaching what we learned over a long period of time, uh, recruiting people to help us. So it's, it's a beautiful process. And I think it's not untypical Uh, not the companies that you read about, the flashy companies, but all these mundane companies that are making contributions, mostly you find pretty darn solid citizens, great people working with them, and huge contributions uh, to society. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, I've, I've actually looked into the, the Thales Academy uh, a little bit, and there's there's one near where I live uh, in, in North Carolina that I think my wife and I are going to consider for, for our children once they get a little bit older. Um, they're not quite to the kindergarten age yet. Uh, but, um, I mean, yeah, 
even just the the little bit of research that I've done into it, it's about at least half the cost of of what it typically goes into you know, your, your normal public school education. It, yeah, the, the potential benefits to society there just in terms of, you know, savings is, is huge. Um, and I also, you know, agree with you and like what you had to say about mentorship and, and the people who have been successful kind of giving back because they were helped and, and things like that. And so um, I appreciate that sentiment and I appreciate you, you taking the time to kind of you know, do that for me. I appreciate you sharing, you know, your experience and your insights here with me and with my, with, with my audience. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Jared. Yes, sir. That was, uh, that was my interview with Bob Luddy. What a great man. Um, in addition to being the founder and president of Captive Air uh, and the founder of the Thales Academy, Bob also has a book available uh, titled Entrepreneurial Life, The Path from Startup to Market Leader. Um, and he also sits on the board of the Mises Institute, along with one of my personal heroes, uh, former congressman from Texas, Ron Paul. Uh, we didn't get into this at all in the show, but to my mind, the Mises Institute uh, is perhaps the most important, you know, so-called think tank uh, that exists today. Uh, they do great work on free market economics and, and keeping alive what's known as uh, the Austrian School of Economics. So um, it great, it's great that Mr. Luddy helps to keep that going as well. So um, anyways, uh, I'll link to all of that in the episode notes and see you next time.